Hey, welcome to the Sanctuary Church podcast. Sanctuary Church is a family following the path of Jesus together in Providence, Rhode Island. If you'd like to learn more about our community, you can visit our website at sanctuaryri.org or check us out on social media. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope you are encouraged by today's teaching. Well, good morning, Sanctuary. I am so glad to be uh, back here with you guys worshiping this morning. Uh, The last two Sundays, I missed you guys. Um, Two Sundays ago, I had flown down to D.C. um, to pack up uh, like three of the biggest duffel bags you could possibly imagine full of supplies uh, and worship for the church down there. And then this past Sunday, I was in a city in central Ukraine worshiping with the church there. And I was thinking of you guys as I was going to these places um, so myself and a tiny team, there was five of us, uh, went to Ukraine for about 10 days. Um, and as I was kind of ch- chatting and debriefing all of this with uh, Pastor Andrew over the weekend, uh, he said, we need to spend some time sharing and talking about this this morning. Uh, so I want to I want to do that. I want to share a little bit of our journey and our story with you guys. There's going to be photos on the back that are going to be kind of uh, popping through, sliding through. um, And I don't nearly have enough time to share all of the stories and all of the incredible ways that we saw God working on this trip. So if you want to hear more, come see me afterwards. Um, But I want to just give you a glimpse of of what our trip was like um, and what we kind of learned as as a part of that process and uh, what I felt the Lord was laying on my heart to share with you guys. Um, So, like I said, about two weeks ago, we got on a a plane, went to Hungary first, had to drive across the border into Ukraine with our small team and our like five bazillion bags of supplies. Um, And... From there, we had to drive, I think it was like a 14-hour drive into central Ukraine. Ukraine's not a small country. Uh, it's pretty big. Uh, and so we were all over the place this week. Um, going into this trip, I, I don't know that I quite knew what to expect. Um, because of the you know, ongoing uh, war, it was hard to know, hard to, hard to have like solid plans of exactly where we were going to go, what we were going to do. Uh, we had some ideas of what we were trying to accomplish, but we had to keep all of our uh, plans super loose and open. Um, I, uh, I wasn't quite sure how God was going to use us on this trip. The plan was to, to hit a lot of cities uh, and, and di- distribute a lot of supplies and meet a lot of people. And so, you know, the last two trips we took to Poland and we got to hunker down in one specific community and minister in one church. Uh, this was like, we probably hit 15 churches um, and 15 different communities over the course of the 10 days. Um, and I feel like the Lord just really impressed upon me through this trip a really uh, critical and important lesson that I want to share uh, with you guys this morning. And I'll, and I'll tell you what that is at the end. Um, our focus for this trip was was really threefold. Our goal was to deliver much-needed supplies to individuals and to partners on the ground. We're talking uh, food. We're talking trauma kits, med kits. We're talking warm clothes, uh, uh, gloves, socks, uh, hats, hand warmers, uh, generators, uh, gifts and candy for kids, and just trying to bring as much supplies over with us as we could. There's a lot of stuff we shipped ahead with our, uh, with our uh, partner churches, and, um, and then we brought a bunch with us as well. 
Secondly, our goal was to uh, support the ongoing ministry of the church and of nonprofits on the ground. Um, we wanted to uh, be an encouragement to them to be uh, like Aaron who lifts up Moses' hands uh, as they care for the people there uh, and as they go through the same level of suffering and exhaustion and difficulty as everyone else is going through at the time. And then our third goal was to try and record uh, as many stories and moments as we could um, to share with others, to, uh, to bring back here, to help um, encourage more people to support and to give. Uh, and so we were able to, we were blessed to be able to bring uh, a film crew with us, uh, two guys that are just fantastic at what they do. Uh, they brought the, the most incredible equipment and we were able to capture some really beautiful and powerful and moving stories as we went along from place to place. Um, so the first couple of days of our trip, we, we, we landed, we took this long drive across the country to central Ukraine, and we met up with an organization that my family has deep connections with called Word of Life. Uh, it's an organization that's international, but my parents were deeply involved with, uh, with Word of Life in Ukraine. Uh, and these, uh, this, this, these crew, uh, I love them. They had written this entire play, this entire theater production, uh, to be able to take to different churches and nonprofits and theaters around the country. They were literally the best show in town. Um, there was, they were probably the only show in town as well. Uh, but the goal was to gather together as many displaced families into these churches uh, and to put on this theater performance to put on this show and it wasn't just about like giving people a break from thinking about the war which it did that right you could watch kids and their and their parents as they engaged in the story just kind of relax for a moment and enjoy just a, a musical production but more so there was these beautifully written themes of light and darkness of good and evil written into this this production and uh, it's a story this is such a kid's it's a kid's story um it was beautiful. It's a story about this evil king named Morak uh, who hates the dark, who ha hates the light, loves the darkness. And so he goes around and he steals all the light and all the warmth and all the goodness from the, the townspeople. And so they send this delegation of people out to find the king of light uh, and to ask him for a never ending eternal light that would drive Morak away. Like, it's 100% a kid's story. There's at least one show where we showed up and it was all full of adults and it was kind of awkward, but also beautiful. Um, and the, 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 the themes that were in this play were not lost on anyone. All right, literally the first show that we were in, there's no power and no heat in the church we were in. It was freezing and we had to run all the sound and lights off of uh, a generator out back. Um, they, they could sense uh, that they were living through that play. Right, this was very real and very uh, personal for them. Um, and the idea for this entire production was really pulled from this beautiful passage in uh, the Gospel of John. I want to read it to you. John chapter 1 says this, uh, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and nothing was uh, and, and without him was not anything made that was made. Double negative there. Um, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Uh, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. Um, we, we got to, to get a tiniest, the tiniest of taste of what people were going through in Ukraine over the past 11 months. Uh, they went through some incredible darkness. They experienced some incredible evil. Uh, and the hope 
the goal of having them see this small production was to introduce them to the true king of light. All right, to introduce them to the one person that can overcome whatever level of darkness they were experiencing. Uh, and who could give them a, an everlasting light that couldn't be snuffed out by evil or darkness. You know, this passage, it's beautiful. That the first, even the first little phrase there, in the beginning, right? And this is about as close to a hyperlink as you can get in the Bible, right? If, if internet existed back then, this would be like that blue text with the underline for you to click on and say, hey, what is this pointing me back to? What is it pointing you back to? Genesis chapter 1. It's word for word. Genesis chapter 1. It's a reminder to look back. And, and in Genesis 1, how does God create the heavens and the earth? Does he, does he use his hands to form clay? Does he use maybe his mind to just think something? No, he uses his mouth and he speaks and everything is created. And so John, the, the apostle John, when he's writing this, he's making a connection for us. That word in the beginning that created everything, his name is Jesus. Right, and he is the true king of light. Right, he gives hope in hopeless situations. And that was the message that we were trying to communicate to these displaced families. Um, as we shared uh, the, uh, this story, uh, each of the shows, uh, my brother and I, my brother uh, is a pastor down in Virginia. Uh, we were both able to kind of get up and, and greet people and welcome people in, pray over them, prepare them for what they're about to see. And then afterwards, as every child and every adult left, they got to leave with a, uh, like a massive, like really entirely too heavy bag of groceries. Um, and all the kids got a gift uh, to take home with them. Uh, you've seen some of those photos in the back already. Um, so this was a big part of our trip, was jumping in with this partner, and we went to probably 10 to 15 different churches. Uh, There's a bunch of shows. We probably saw several thousand displaced families and were able to give these gifts, give these groceries, and, uh, and just uh, share the, the hope that comes from Jesus in all of that. Uh, the second part was, was um, just really bearing witness to all of the destruction, all of the horrors of the war, to capture those stories, like I said, with the film crew. Um, and so... On, on Wednesday and Thursday, really, we got to, we got to see the, the, the worst of it. Um, we were in a city called Kharkiv, which is in like the northeastern part of Ukraine. Uh, and for a couple of months this past year, Kharkiv was under occupation. Uh, it, was, uh, it had been conquered, and then it was um, liberated in September. And the evidence of this occupation was all over the place. We had destruction everywhere, uh, apartments, uh, homes, uh, stores. Um, there were uh, roads that were destroyed all over the place. Um, and it was, it was incredibly hard to see all of this in a beautiful, vibrant city that, that was beautiful and vibrant at one point. Um, one of, the, one of the, the folks that we connected with that was really like, uh, impactful for me was, was a man named Sergey, who was a pastor. Uh, Sergey, um, he shared some incredible stories with us that I just don't have time to get into, but uh, the, the church that he pastored at one point became literally the front lines of, uh, of, the, of the war. Um, 
their church couldn't meet in their building for two months because there were tanks uh, driving up and down the street in front of their church. Uh, the, the, the actual building went from being at one point a waypoint for refugees to come through, for uh, displaced families to kind of evacuate through. At another point, it became a barracks for soldiers to stay in. Pastor Sergey is like, yeah, I've got a bunch of HIMAR missiles sitting in my basement right now. Um, and so, and then it eventually it turned into a distribution center for um, for uh, for food and for resources to the community. Um, Sergey shared with us how, uh, as the work got going, uh, he went from being a pastor to being a chaplain. Um, he got to personally invest in and get to know and build relationships with with the people that were coming through, with the soldiers that were living in his building. Um, and he shared some absolutely unbelievable stories. One, I'll share one. He was uh, telling us about how uh, early on in the war, he would uh, he would walk around everywhere with a helmet and with a bulletproof vest, and he was trying to uh, do his best to stay safe as he was caring for people. Um, he had sent his family uh, out of the out of the country as far far away from the danger as he could. And he said after about four or five uh, moments where we had these like big. Um, uh, <sighs> Uh, just rockets falling near them. He's like, I just realized my vest isn't going to do anything anyway. So he took it off and, and continued to serve. This guy could weave through the city going as fast as he can without uh, touching the brakes and uh, in, in, in record time to get across where he needed to. And he shared a moment about when he was uh, ministering with a team of his at an apartment complex and uh, uh, there was a, a, a gunfight that broke out on the other side of the complex, uh, on the other side of the building and there was rockets falling. And so they, they got out of there as fast as they can. They got home, they're sitting in their, in their living room and they're sharing with the, with the folks that were there about what they had just experienced, about how God had protected them. And he just got to the word boom when he was explaining that the, the rockets were hitting. He got to the word boom. Uh, and uh, this loud crash happens in his house. And they open the door to the kitchen, and there's a rocket sitting in his kitchen that hadn't exploded. Um, the Lord had protected and provided for them um, in just incredibly, beautifully, wonderful ways. And as a result, uh, Sergei felt like the Lord was calling him to stay, to continue, to not run for safety, but to be in the trenches, uh, working with the people that were there. He chaplained and pastored soldiers that were going through uh, incredible grief. One soldier came to him and he said, you know, when I started this war, I was fighting to defend my country, but after I lost my entire family, so now I feel this hatred in my heart that I'm, I feel like I'm fighting out of hatred. He says, I don't want to fight out of hatred. Pastor Sergei, how do I overcome that? Right? These are the moments where the Lord had called him into uh, to point these people to Jesus. And so on one of these days, Pastor Sergei led us actually through uh, the city of Kharkiv and took us out to an outpost uh, that was on the edge of um, uh, on the edge of the Kharkiv district to meet a, a couple of soldiers that were that were bunkered down there. Um, this was easily probably the most intense part of the trip. Uh, we knew that the whole time we were going to be in there was going to be relatively unsafe, but this was a, a particularly tense moment. Um, we saw some uh, incredible destruction. I actually want to show you a video. Um, that's Pastor Sergey in the middle, by the way. I want to show you a video of one of the uh, elementary schools that we uh, walked through with some of the volunteers that lived in that community. There's no, there's no sound. I'll narrate. Um, 
So this school was, was, had just finished renovation uh, maybe a year or two before the war. Um, and the volunteer that was leading us through this space uh, actually went to school here himself. And his son had just finished had just started first grade here before uh, before the war started. He didn't get a chance to uh, to actually even finish that. When the just when the real uh, shelling and, and war started, there was an entire community of people that came to this school to live in the basement here. Um, and this was a this was the hardest thing to see. Uh, these were this was not like a finished basement or even like a storage basement. This was like a dirt floor crawl space, um, and they had set up cots and beds and blankets and pillows. And families with kids were living here, uh, experiencing the the, the the fullness of uh, the, the the horrors of war right here. Um, there was a, a one point a rocket that hit right outside the school right here. Uh, and that's when they decided they needed to to get out. This is uh, it's hard to see the, the 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 size of this crater. It's probably about 30 feet across. Um, and it was in this moment that we're hearing stories of how God protected, how God uh, delivered people, how um, how these people were evacuated out of the city. Um, our goal and seeing these places was not some sort of like tourism thing, was to try to, uh, to, to bear witness to what was going on, to capture the stories, to be able to share with others, to raise more support and to, uh, and honestly to sit with people in, uh, in their grief and in what they were experiencing. Uh, the rest of the week, we, we essentially just continued the show. Uh, we went to probably another 10, 10 churches as we started to make our way west and further and further away from danger. Uh, all in all, we spent probably 70 to 80 hours uh, in a car. Uh, it's about three full days of like nonstop driving. Uh, it was a lot of driving, but we were able to distribute thousands upon thousands of dollars of food, medical aid, gifts uh, to families, to children, to soldiers, to volunteers. Uh, we got to encourage and pray over uh, a, a ton of people, share Jesus with uh, several thousand displaced families. And we got to do all of this in the name of Jesus. Um, as we were flying home, um, and I, I took a, like a deep sigh of relief that we were out of the country, uh, I, I, I took a, a few moments to, to reflect and debrief and process through what I had seen and experienced. And I had, uh, a, found I had three main takeaways. This is what I want to share with you guys. Uh, I was honored uh, to bear witness to the suffering and the strength of the individuals we met. Uh, this was affecting real people. A lot of times when we think of war, we think of country against country, and we don't think about individuals, families, children, the people themselves. Uh, the destruction was real, and it was painful. Uh, number two, I was inspired uh, by the various individuals and organizations that, we were, uh, that were working independently to just, just do the next right thing. Right. Yes, there are some larger organizations that were working in a coordinated way, but uh, the, the bulk of the effort was just everyday people. It was just people like you and me that said, I have a car. I'm going to go drive people. I have a couple of connections. I'm going to collect supplies. Uh, I have a, you know, a, a, a skill here or a talent here or a resource there. I'm going to share that with others. Uh, and how God as the master orchestrator was using each and every one of these individual people uh, to, to care for others. This was beautiful. It was wonderful. It was inspiring to see that the way that this was working. The way that churches were working together uh, to care for people was absolutely mind-blowing. Um, and I, number three, I was, I was humbled by the 
power of presence and prayer. All right, a purpose of this trip, like I said, was not to hunker down in one city and try to do work in one city. It was to try to hit as many places as we could in this 10-day uh, period. And there were a few moments on the trip where I wondered, like, man, are we, is this effective? Are we doing what we came here to do? Like, uh, did I need to come here? Like, why is Tim Morose in Ukraine right now experiencing this? Um, was the work that we were doing meaningful and helpful? And even as I was wondering that, I felt like the resounding answer was yes. Right, time and time again, in every place we went, there were people that would come up and say, thank you so much for just being here. Right, for coming from a country or a place that was relatively safe and coming into a space that was unsafe and just sitting with them in that grief and for, for helping them to not feel alone and forgotten. It was in one of those moments that I was reminded of John chapter 1, verse 14. And this is kind of where I want to land the plane this morning. Right? This is in the same the context of the same passage that was talking about the light and darkness that we read about just a few minutes ago. And John says this, uh, And the word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Right? This is one of the most beautiful passages uh, in all of the scriptures and one of the most mind-blowing passages. We lose a lot of the, the significance and the oomph of this passage, having heard it so often and not really understanding what it means. Uh, but God's presence became flesh and came to earth. God left the loftiness and the safety of uh, of heaven and stepped into the muck and mire and brokenness of earth. All right, listen to what Gary Bergs uh, says about this. He's an author and a scholar. Uh, he says, a casual first century reader of John's prologue uh, would have had very diff uh, little difficulty understanding John's description of logos. This is the, the Greek word for word that we see. Uh, uh, they, they, he um, very little difficulty understanding John's description of the Logos. Uh, as a concept, it was simple enough. The Logos uh, was the intelligible law of things. It was God's transcendent rationality that gave the universe order and purpose. A Hellenized Jew would quickly reach uh, for a volume of wisdom literature explaining that God's wisdom, his, his logos, uh, provided the universe with its form and coherence. Right, as such, this logos was foreign to human ways, above us and distant from us, guiding us from afar. And I hope you, you feel the, uh, the, elevate, the elevating of this idea, this word of logos, right, this holy other perfect being. John chapter 114, on the other hand, would make any such reader pause in stunned silence. And the word became flesh. The word for flesh here is the word sarks. And that flesh dwelt among us. Sarks, it was believed, was the earthly sphere. The arena of human decisions and emotions, human history and human sinfulness. John chapter 114 contains the risk, the scandal, and the gospel of the Christian faith. The word became flesh. 
the center of God's life and thought entered the depths of our world and took up its form, its flesh, in order to be known by us and to save us. Right? Uh, you, if you were living in Jesus' day, first century reader would have been scandalized by this idea of God, Logos, becoming flesh, Sarks. Right, this affirmation about Logos and Sarks is the very heart of our faith. God has not abandoned us. No lowliness or misery or sinfulness is beyond God's comprehension and reach. He came among us, embraced our world of Sarks in his incarnation, and he loved us. It's easy enough to say that God loves the world, like in John 3.16, but to say that God loves me in my frailty and my faithlessness, that he loves Sarks, that's another matter. This is the mystery and the power of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. I don't know what it is that's going on in your life this morning. I don't know what level of trial you are going through, what level of suffering you are going through. But I do know that God's presence is with us. John Peterson, I translate this verse like this. He says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. God chose to come and be with us. And so what I found was that what made our presence in Ukraine so meaningful for the individuals that we met, it wasn't the fact that we are some Americans that were showing up like white knights. Right? There's nothing special about us but rather that we chose to leave the relative safety of our homes and step into their mess and their brokenness with them. I gave them hope. I gave them peace. I gave them joy. They felt seen and remembered. They felt like they were uh, not alone. And they said that to us many, many times. It was beautiful watching uh, the complexion of people change as they sat in one of those shows and relaxed for a bit and heard about Jesus, walked outside, received a gift. It was true joy. It was true hope. I hope you know this morning that you don't actually have to fly, you know, halfway around the world and go into a war-torn country to kind of experience this. Uh, to know the power of God's presence and, for that matter, to give the gift of presence to others. Some of us this morning, we need to pause and we need to remember the scandal of God coming, becoming flesh, stepping into our world, into our neighborhoods, into our lives, into our mess. Right? Jesus' presence on earth wasn't just a nice thing, it was the ultimate thing. And not only was he present 2,000 years ago, but his spirit is present with us today. And some of us this morning, we need to pause and we need to repent. Uh, repent for uh, withholding the gift of God's presence from others. You know, I don't know about you, but uh, our lives are, are, are busy. Right? We move from thing to thing. Our schedules are busy. And oftentimes we fail to see uh, the people that God has placed in front of us. We fail to pause and reflect on, uh, on how we are called to serve the people in front of us and around us. 
right? We run from thing to thing, and we truly fail to see and invest ourselves in the people around us. And uh, possibly one of the most uh, impactful things that one of my mentors told me when I was younger was uh, ministry is not like the, like, like the job that you do. Uh, ministry is the person that God has placed in front of you. I, and he told me this because I, I tend to focus on my schedule and my tasks. I'm very task-oriented, uh, and I needed to be reminded to stop and look at who's in front of me. I still struggle with this. I still have to repent of this. So this morning, uh, as we go into a time of communion, I want to invite you to do those two things, to remember God becoming flesh, to reflect on that, and to repent um, of the times that you have failed to give God's presence to others. If the presence of a few equally broken humans can have such a powerful effect on a war-torn individual or family, how much more can the presence of the one true God do in our lives here today? Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for just the opportunity to go and bear witness, to go and serve, uh, to go and be a part of uh, you, what the work that you're doing around the world. Jesus, we pause at this moment and we pray for Ukraine. We pray for the individuals and the families that are being affected by this war. We pray for their safety, for their protection, for their provision, Lord, would you, uh, in the midst of suffering, would you help them to see, help them to see that you are with them, that you are near. Help them to see that you are the true king of light. Jesus, we pray for us this morning as we, uh, as we're sitting, you know, halfway around the world, so far away from all of that destruction, but we see it. We see not just the destruction and the pain and the suffering that's going on there, but the pain and the destruction that's happening in our country, in our communities, Lord. And we ask you, Lord, uh, come. Come into those spaces. Sit with us. Help us to feel your presence. Help us to be inspired to go and be your hands and feet, not just to run to the safety of whatever home we live in, but to step into the danger and step towards the people that need, uh, that need you. We need you, Lord.